0: All right, we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Pines and Diplomacy. I am your host, Tyler Stewart. I'm your co-host, Ryan Comer. And today is Tuesday, September 28th, and we have a packed show for you with an interview with MSNBC contributor and author and founder of The Bulwark. And, and, and. Charlie Sykes. He's a famed conservative radio host from Wisconsin, turned never Trumper. Um, a great interview with him. We also have a Supreme Court of presidential quotes, along with a little bit of an update on Chuck Grassley and what he's been doing in the state of Iowa. We've got a full episode for you. Let's go. Ask
1: not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You're working hard to put food on your family.
2: And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take
1: back the White
0: House. Today, we have a Supreme Court of Presidential Quotes. I have my nine. Ryan has his nine. We're going to try to collectively come up with nine together. We have not spoken about what each of us have just so we can get raw reactions from each other. So, Ryan, however, today, you you go first today. Oh, you, got the, you have the majority of the picks.
2: But we don't. We're not. We pick a Supreme or a Supreme. We pick a chief justice at the end? Yep, at the end. Okay.
0: So, I guess, Ryan, this is pre- in, in this Supreme Court, who is your first selection to lead lead the court? Presidential quotes. This could be anything, though. there could be um, a movie president. It could be a real president. It could be a silly quote. Just all-time quotes of quotes of presidents.
2: I had, I had a hard time. Like, I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, I had a hard time. So, we'll see. Hit me with one. Okay, so my first one is FDR, 1933, in his uh, first inaugural ad, inaugural roll. Mm-hmm. Jeez, have another right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in his first inaugural address, uh, FDR said, uh, "The only thing we have to fear is fear itself." Gosh, that's, I had that one. Sorry. No, but, that's good. It's a good quote. Yeah, no, we're gonna. Ha- I think we're g- probably gonna have a lot of the same ones because like, right. there's certain ones that are just they're big like they're right they're yeah forever that will that's forever mm-hmm. like very recognizable very recognizable
0: all right you ready i so i have a couple deep cut quotes that i don't think you will have so i'm going to try to put those in my back pocket for later
2: okay.
0: i'm going to go with a simple a very simple but popular one i think is important got to go with jfk's inaugural address where he says ask not what your country can do for oh, you God. ask what you could do for your country and that like british not British, Boston. Right, in that Boston accent.
2: You have another.
0: Yeah, I should. Yeah.
2: grief, we're having a hard, rough go here early on. The talking, the talking part is really giving us fits. All right, you're up. Yeah, I did not have that one, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't. Sorry. Um, I'm gonna lighten the mood here, and I know, like, I, I, yeah, I have a couple from the same people. I repeated some, some people, so uh, some presidents. So hopefully that's okay. not against the rules. But my next one is uh, George W. Bush. Damn it. It might not be the one you have. It That's might okay. be a different one. Might he's got a couple. Yeah, he's got a um, lot. So the quote is: "There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee. It fool me once, shame on, shame on. Fool me.
0: We can't get fooled again.' <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to put yourself in a little mental pretzel there." You can't, can't get fooled again. This is a first. This is the back to back that I had on my list too. This could be. We might. Oh, you we had might that one too. Y- had the exact oh. quote that the fool me once. can you get fooled again. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good one. Um, gosh dang it! All right, no, that's a good one. That's a good funny quote. He's got a lot of things like from his. Uh, one well, that, don't uh, be careful because oh, yeah, I've said right, right, I might. Right, 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 right. I sorry, might sorry. hit up a <clears> uh, <throat> uh,
2: president more than once.
0: All right, Well, I'm gonna get creative then. We're gonna we're gonna dive into a creative one. Um, Air Force One, Harrison Ford, <laughs> get off my plane. <laughs> got to go get, <laughs> get off my That's plane That's amazing. Yeah, got to go is, with uh, Harrison Ford. One. Yeah. No, I love that one. Great movie too. Some great presidential movie quotes.
2: I I I didn't go that route and like I knew oh, I knew I it was did. an option. I'll, I'll use mine up then. Yeah, no, feel yeah, feel free cuz I didn't go I didn't go there. Oh, yeah. oh I lost track.
0: Uh fifth pick 5. Okay, this is We're, pick five. We always have problems with the numbers.
2: Whoo, Um my go?
0: Yep, your go. Tee off.
2: I'm gonna go with uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, talking about f- his foreign foreign policy uh, speak softly and carry a big
0: stick. I I, I, no, I sorry I was writing I'm just keeping track but I, oh. I did have a, a Teddy Roosevelt quote it was not that one though oh. but that is good speak softly and carry a big stick. yep yeah that's good. Um, six, six. I have so I have six and eight I have two left. Uh, God this is tough. This mm-hmm. is like the first time I've been really. I have three good ones that I want to use. I almost. Re, I don't regret anything. No regrets here. Uh, I'm gonna go with. That's too long. We're just gonna go with this one. Bill Clinton. I'm gonna say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Gotta go with that quote. That's like I was. I was a. I was a little young pup when that happened.
2: I had that one. I had that one on my. Good. Mind. I'm glad
0: it came at you a little bit. Yeah, there.
2: I feel like some. Some of them and. People might not agree with us on on some of these, um, but like, yeah, I think part of it was like just our age and stuff. And that was a big, right. that was a big deal. Like yeah, that was a big deal sure. uh, in our life, in our lifetime. So, alrighty, yeah, I'm going to go in the way back machine. Ooh, way, way uh, back. Abraham Lincoln, okay. 1858 in a speech in Clinton, Illinois. You can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all
0: the time. That's a tough one to follow sometimes. If you've had three beers, that's tough. Four, that's a good quote. Yeah, yeah. When you've no, I was worried I was
2: going to screw it up. Reading it, it's a tough one. (laughs) It's just got to think about what you're saying a little bit. Yeah, I thought I was going to get
0: lost in in the times. Um, Lincoln. So eight, eight back to me. You finish with nine, and we nominate one. I have to go with this one. I have to. I don't. I didn't want to double up on a presidential quote or uh, a president, but we're going to do it anyways. Teddy Roosevelt giving a speech when he's running for uh, election again as a member of the bull moose party, where he was shot, he was shot before a speech. And at one point he said, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. And he delivered like an 84 minute speech. I think I read further, he he realized, like I went through a part of a pocketbook, um, or like a, a book in his uh, that he had in his shirt about progressive ideas, and he realized he wasn't coughing up blood, so he knew he was fine. That's a great quote right there.
2: That yeah, that's a good the the quote, the yeah, the story around it is amazing. Last one. Oh gosh, dude. What the hell. Are we going to do like honorable mentions? Yeah, we have the, to. Yeah. We we okay. will. I have a couple good ones I want to Um cuz like I feel really bad not using this one cuz it's in the intro, but it's uh, I'm all right. not going to go that route. And I am I'm going to double up on another president um, again and, and I think a big part of this probably is 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 just because of the the magnitude of the, the situation at the time. I'm going to go with, uh, it's almost, it's like I'm a huge fan or something of the dub here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go George W. Bush, uh, Ground Zero, after 9-11. He's speaking on the bullhorn to the, the uh, responders and, and people down there. Uh, so, yeah, they say, we can't hear you. And he says, I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And even just saying
0: that, like yeah. I get chills. And he's and it's got like the because he's speaking through a loud like a megaphone, no, so it's got that little bit of a whiny pitch voice. It's you know echoing out. It's, yep. Yeah. Totally iconic. Yeah,
2: I seriously have goosebumps right now. Like it was just yeah. a. Yeah, it was a, a really in a in a obviously very awful awful situation, terrible times. It was just I don't know something about it just yeah. felt very unifying and and uh, and patriotic and because that's we were all angry and right. that really kind of channeled all of our emotions and feelings and then moment. he went out
0: to Yankee Stadium and threw an absolute strike of a pitch like I don't think there's ever been any more of a per- like you, every time I watch it it's more perfect yeah right down the middle like it was a, uh, it was crazy so those are our nine now who do we think Chief Justice what, what would be your pick from yours if you had to go through, and pick one. Which which one would you say is your your number one? Probably the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. FDR. I think that. One, oh, interesting. I was honestly going to say go with the the nine eleven Bush one. Did did the FDR one give you goosebumps? No. So I think we go Bush. I mean, I know it's Bush. I know it's it wasn't. I mean, he wasn't known for giving great speeches. Most mostly funny Bushisms and speeches. But right. that's a great one. That's that defines kind of our generation. So that's, yeah, that. that's a good point. Yeah i go with that one. We'll say Chief Justice, that one. Hopefully, it's kind of a uniting... I mean, go to... I don't know, go to war, but... <laughs> it was a good quote. It was uh, it's something that definitely defined our, our age, so... All right. Honorable Honor, mention. Honorable oh, mention. Can I, can I start off with some here? Yep. Can I go through mine quick? Yep. I, I, so, I had... Oh, I can't believe I didn't do this one. Uh-oh. God dang it. Honorable mention. Presidential quote, regret. You've, big time. No regrets. Independence Day. Oh. President Whitmore... And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. You have the music in the background, the, the crowd that starts to form around as they're getting ready to fly out, you know, get out there and fight yep. the alien uh, aircraft. Uh, great quote. Um, Bush quote I had Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Oh, yeah, that was on there. I almost wanted to include the one where he was speaking in I think Germany and a balloon popped shortly after he had been shot at one point and said, Missed me. Yep, that was a great one. Um, and then the hairs, oh, the Obama, I, the Obama, Obama quote that I couldn't find. I found it here and it's a long one, but I'll just read it quickly. It says, It was from the 2004 Democratic National Convention where he was speaking to nominate John Kerry, and this is what gave him his prominence as a, a member of the Democratic Party. But he said, Um, Well, I say to them tonight, there is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and a Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. The pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states, red states for Republicans, blue states for Democrats, but I've got news for them, too. We worship an awesome God in the blue states, and we don't like federal agents poking around in our libraries in the red states. We coach the little leagues in blue states, and yes, we've got some gay friends in the red states. There are patriots who opposed the war in Iraq, and there are patriots who supported the war in Iraq. He just goes on, to just, it, to, very relevant for today. Like It's okay to have your differences, as long as the differences are about things I that... I think
2: it's good that you didn't use that one, because technically he wasn't... President. He wasn't well, president. he became president.
0: Is that a presidential quote, though? Yes, because he became president. So everything, everything, everything,
2: everything. Everything predating his presidency is still presidential?
0: Yeah. I don't. Know. I'm just making that up. But I'm glad yeah, I you can. You make the rules. It's your show. Yeah, like that's fair. What do you What do you got for honorable mention?
2: Um, one of my one of my all time favorites, John F. Kennedy, 1963 in West Berlin. He says, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Yes, I am a Berliner. Like I don't know. That's I just I know it. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know how famous it is, but I know it, and so it's, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Yeah, it's, yeah, I know it's that famous one too. to me. Yeah. What else? Plenty flipping, of notes sorry, there. Flipping through my notes, uh, I write big. George W. Bush. You're working hard to put food on your family. Oh yeah, we use it in the we use it in the intro, so I felt really bad. Uh, Also, H I kept it in the family there. uh, George H. W. Bush read my lips: no new taxes um, at the '88 Republican National Convention, and then in 1990, increased increased uh, several already existing taxes. So technically, even though he increased taxes, it wasn't a new tax; it was a already existing tax. But didn't matter. But he increased it. So um, I'm then that yeah, that looks like. I had a couple others that um, I don't I don't think are honorable mention worthy. I just had That's them fair. down in case.
0: That is our Supreme Court of presidential quotes. Next on our list, uh, before we get to the interview, quickly uh, update on Chuck Grassley, Iowa Senator. I'm sure you've been paying attention to the news. Uh, Chuck Grassley announced he's running. He's running for re-election at age 87. I think would be 88 when elected, roughly 88 years old, running for re-election. Now, did you know Ryan? Can you guess, I'll just ask you, can you guess the year that he was first elected into public office?
2: 1958. Close. Hey, 59? 12,
0: 59. Yeah, it was 59. And Alaska became a state in what year? 59, along with Hawaii in 59. So he's been, he's been in elected office longer. Roughly, probably, I don't know. It's timing. longer. Because I, I, I looked at, Alaska I saw Alaska was that. January and Hawaii was later, I think July, I believe. Or Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii was like July when they were admitted into, into the union.
2: I believe I, I believe I read an article that stated that he's been in elected office longer than Alaska's been a state.
0: Well, did you also know that in 1959, when he was elected into the Iowa House of Representatives, gas was 30 cents? Huh. 30 cents. So uh, it's his fault, it's so much right. blaming it on <laughs> right. Biden. It's, right. Obama wasn't even born because he was born, I believe, 61. Herbert Hoover was still alive. And he was president from 1929 to 1933. He was still alive. Um, John Tyler president, or was, he, John Tyler was born in 1790. His grandson was in his 30s while Chuck Grassley was, still elected, was first elected into the Iowa House. Um, some things that haven't been invented, cordless tools had were, you know, I think were invented the next year, like 1960. Contact lenses were five years away from being invented. And this one, this one was shocking to me. There's probably more out there. This is what I saw on my list when I was looking earlier. Fan-assisted ovens. So having fans in ovens. That was invented in 1967, so like eight years after. He's been around forever, and we've you know we've done interviews with Dave Molbauer and Ab- Ab- Abby Finkenauer. He's going to have a stiff challenge, but it'll be interesting to see if he can. I mean, because he'd be what 92, no, 94 if he were to serve the full term.
2: I, like I'm just, I have nothing to say because it just seems, it's just, uh, I don't know. And I understand like he's well known, like right. So there's you know he's got a good shot of winning, but like. And we live in a very red state. Yes. It's yeah. just crazy to me that we that we want to elect people. Like, I'm not... I love old people. <laughs> yeah, Go I do. I love old people. Well, okay. no, I'm just saying. Like, oh, oh. My parents are old people. Oh. Like, I don't have anything against old people, but like, I don't... I don't... I just... I don't know that I want them... Tell, me how, tell us how you really feel. Well, I'm... Ageism. <laughs> am, I an age, am I an ageist? Yes. I just... I don't... I, f- I feel like he's... Done his. He's done his thing. He served his time. I just feel like it's time. It's time to maybe get some some uh, some fresh
0: ideas. And yeah. I just don't understand why they wouldn't do again. We can probably cut this. I, I, why wouldn't he step down? Not step down, but like just not run for re-election and endorse somebody like Pat Grassley, his well, grandson.
2: The 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 rumor is that he's gonna. He, you know, he'll run, he'll win, and then a little while after that, he'll say, "Oh, I, you know, I can't do it anymore" or whatever. And mm-hmm. then Kim Reynolds appoints. The grandson. Well,
0: I don't know. I'm not sure what the state law is. If they'd have to hold a special election or not, I'm not sure how that works in yeah. Iowa. It's it's sometimes different for every state. Right. So Yeah, that makes sense though. I mean, keep it in the Grassley name because they can literally, he could literally hold that office, Pat Grassley. I mean, for, for the foreseeable future, I don't see any other situation. Where how old he, is he? How many? Hey, so he would 30s, 40s. So he could do it for another 60 years, probably. Then. Probably, because <laughs> they're all fucking dinosaurs and can live forever, and it's weird. They live off like fucking Dairy Queen ice cream. Or what's sorry, he call it what's you know what he calls it you know, you know what, what. <laughs> yeah at Dairy Queen having some you know what do we what are you having there what are you really having what do we know I don't know I don't know, I don't know what a dilly bar I don't know pigeons I don't know <laughs> um all right so we have our interview with Charlie Sykes again Charlie is the founder and editor at the Bulwark host of the Bulwark podcast contributor at MSNBC you should watch his videos um he's got a lot on YouTube from MSNBC they're all great um, he's the author of How the Right Lost Its Mind great interview we had with him we just finished it up actually probably about an hour and a half ago no um, idea why he agreed to do this right zero clue he responded right away to the email which is really shocking he yeah. I emailed him because his email's on Twitter I, and he he responded it was all for it he had a beer with us it was great we, yeah really cool yeah. really good interview he has a better radio voice than all of us which makes sense oh, yeah. but he spent a, a long time in Wisconsin in radio conservative talk show host but never Trumper so I don't know <laughs> I don't know just Good doesn't mesh doesn't too. mesh well right now it's great radio all uh enjoy the interview so we'd like to introduce to today's special guest he's the founder slash editor of the bulwark host of the bulwark podcast a contributor on msnbc and author of the book how the right lost its mind charlie thank you for joining us thank you for the invitation um so we have a, a huge like we have a bunch of notes here so i Uh-oh. jared jared was so kind to like type in a like a page of notes today. And he had some really good points in there. But before we get to Jared's part, I want to, I want to, I want to start with this question, your interview with Donald Trump. Back in 2016. Was that the moment that you became a never Trumper? or the, the whole Ted, the Ted Cruz uh, you know, situation with Trump? Was that the,
1: was that your last straw? No, not at all. Um, no, I, I had been a never Trumper from uh, before that. He came down the, the golden escalator. And in, in fact, uh, the, The interview was just sort of uh, six, seven, eight, nine months, 10 years worth of pent up questions that I had for him, but there was never a moment when I was not a a never Trumper. In fact, the amazing thing about that interview, which was, uh, I think, late March of uh, 2016, was that he, he would even come on the show since it was no secret that I was a never Trumper, that I admittedly suffered from Trump derangement syndrome going back into 2015. So I asked him at one point, I said, Mr. Trump, do you know that I'm never Trump? And he says, no, I was not aware of that. So I, I, I gave him points for being a good sport, but that was, those were the only points they gave him. Yeah, it, I, was, and I,
0: was, I rewatched that uh, today and I, I saw that there's a, a couple quotes I wrote down and this is pretty silly that out of a, a conversation with the presidential candidate that was at the time the front runner, some of the quotes that I thought were notable were, uh, he started it. Um, I apologize sometimes. And were and you, at one point you mentioned, you realize we're not on a playground, something to that effect. And it's like, that that's, that's crazy that the the level of the conversation devolved into that because of his shenanigans.
1: Well, exactly. And this was, it was 17 minutes long. And, and I, I guess I was, uh, I am still in retrospect, kind of surprised at the attention that got, because I thought I was asking him the basic questions that anybody had, but, but apparently that up until then, everybody had kind of treated him, you know, with with kid gloves, which I, I, I still find to be somewhat extraordinary. Um, so, I mean, I just asked him things that had been going around in my head. I I won't claim that I um, had prepared extensively for it. Um, I had in a, a show the week earlier with uh, with Ted Cruz mm-hmm. sort of launched his Wisconsin campaign. And I would prepared all kinds of detailed questions but with Trump i just figured hey you know i'm just going to start off we're going to have a conversation about why are you making fun of ted cruz's wife's looks i mean seriously you're running for the job that abraham lincoln once had when when it went from there wow
0: that's a good that's a very good way to put it jared you got a question you want to follow up with or anything
1: yeah so I, it, it was
3: interesting to me um, i was reading a little bit of background you know i i think i remember seeing that interview or at least hearing about it at the time that you did it but looking back at sort of the analysis after the fact, a lot of people, uh, commentators online, were saying that that was a, maybe a big part. Your interview was a big part of why he might have lost the primary in Wisconsin. It made people really think about his uh, personality and his fitness for office. Yet, what I found was interesting is now looking back with hindsight, um, it seemed like a lot of Wisconsin Wisconsinites uh, didn't like him as a person enough to vote for him right. in the primary. But then, you know, years later. Uh, the Wisconsin voting bloc, the conservative voting bloc in Wisconsin is largely supportive of Trump. So I guess, oh, that's right. Is that, yeah. And is that an accurate assumption? And, and what, are your, what is your take on that as a Wisconsinite and as someone who has obviously been in that sphere for a long time?
1: Well, okay. So the, the interview that I had with him, and I think it was on March 28th was, was not a turning point in any, in any way uh, for his, oh, yes. his, his, his primary, because he was already going to lose that primary. I mean, I had been railing against him for Six months, nine months, um, and, and most of the other conservative radio hosts were as well back then. In fact, Wisconsin was kind of a laboratory testing the, you know, the the, the thesis. Well, what if Donald Trump didn't have the support of conservative talk radio? What if he didn't have talkers giving him air cover uh, like he had around the country? What would happen? And he lost badly. So he was on track to lose Wisconsin badly. It just attracted more attention to it. Um, and, and in many ways, I really thought at the time that this was a, a, just a sign of the distinctiveness of Wisconsin Republicans. Um, I know it sounds silly now to go back and, and say this, but I, I think the voters were, were much more engaged. I think they were savvier. Uh, they had gone through lots of partisan wars, uh, so they were locked in in a way that other voters might not have been. And I, th- I thought it was a sign of their really good sense that they were not going along with Trump when everybody else was. I mean, he lost by double digits. Now, unfortunately, he lost to Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz was the last man standing. And as I explained to anyone who would listen, uh, Ted Cruz was not a good match for Wisconsin. I mean, Ted Cruz was in many ways quite deplorable himself. But that's how desperate Republicans were in Wisconsin, me included, to stop Donald Trump. And so keep in mind that I had been doing this show for more than 20 years. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I felt that I was in sync with the audience. I, I think that I, um, my ideas of what it meant to be a conservative were very much in line with most of the audience. But you mentioned how things changed over the next couple of years. Actually, the shocking thing was how they changed over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. See, I thought, that the Wisconsin primary was going to be this firewall of rationality that, that maybe you would have the forces of reason in the Republican party um, <laughs> rally around to block Trump. In fact, we didn't even, we, we turned out not to even be a speed bump. And the, the biggest shock for me was, was watching uh, one after another prominent Republicans who, who uh, you know, had, had no illusions about who Trump was earlier in the year, decide they were getting on board. And I mean, I remember being at the Cleveland convention and one of the uh, prominent Republican office holders who I had known for many, many years. We had been through many fights together. And she came out and she said, Charlie, what did you think of that wonderful speech? And I, I was actually speechless. She said, well, you're going to get on board, right? I said, no, there's no way. And it was like, it really was, you know, to use the, the phrase we've used so many times over the last five years, it was like watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. people that you thought you knew that you thought you were allied with and i had no idea how she watched that speech and came away thinking this is our guy let's put him in the oval office Mm -hmm. so i was out a step so but why why do you what happened
0: i mean i don't know it's a very vague question but why, why were there such a large group of people that decided to go along with this and just keep you know doing as he says
1: Well, okay, so, you know, I mean, I've I've given a lot of thought to that, you know, part of it was um, an indication of how hyper tribal and hyper partisan we had become uh, (laughs) that, um, that really when it came into a came down to a binary choice between him and Hillary Clinton, you know, um, even our folks uh, decided that they were going to go along with this. But also, there were a lot of I mean, you have to divide this into different groups, there were the true believers, there were the people who drank the Kool-Aid and thought it'd be wonderful to build a massive wall along the southern border. But most of the people that I knew in the Wisconsin Republican Party that went along did so on a transactional nature. They thought, okay, we can get something from him. We will get some policy. We won't get anything we want from Hillary Clinton. And maybe he'll be a complete disaster. But if we get certain things, if we get tax cuts, if we get conservative judges, that's enough. So that's the Faustian bargain that, Mm -hmm. that that they made. And you know when I when I say that the you know most prominent Wisconsin Republican I'm thinking of is of course Paul Ryan, right? Who uh, again you know held out as long as as he did, but ultimately decided he was going to go along because this was the hand he was dealt, and I think right. that he thought he could manage the Faustian bargain. But that's the thing with Faustian bargains, right? Mm-hmm. That you you get a lot of things you like. You know, you, you you get beautiful women, you get money, you get tax cuts, you get judges, right? And right. Then you find out that the price is way more than you thought it was uh, was going to be initially. And I think that's what happened with people like Ryan and Ryan's Priebus and, and other Wisconsin Republicans.
0: And didn't, I think I just read an article the other day about uh, Paul Ryan said he, something about seeking a therapist or trying to deal with, or s- start out a therapist in order to understand Trump's way of, maybe like you have mentioned the transactional way of thinking a little bit and his like narcissistic behavior. And that was really interesting to hear from the former speaker.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a horrible situation for him. And, you know, I we can look back and think of the alternative uh, possibilities. What if Paul Ryan would have stood up against him? He probably would have lost his speakership. Mm -hmm. Um, But but he made these judgments to go along. And I think that's the story of the Republican Party. It's like nobody wanted to take him on. They were waiting for somebody else to step in and take care of this, um, or they figured that they could manage it. And um, as, as, as a result, you've had this rolling acquiescence. I mean, look, here's the, here's the problem. And you know, once you've sold your soul, or you, you start carving off parts of your soul, um, it becomes easier to carve off the next part and the next part. And when you're, you're in really deep, sometimes it's too much. Now, there are mm-hmm. some people who at some point go, OK, now it's too much. I can't take it. You know, Liz, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. Mm-hmm. who supported trump pretty consistently and then after january 6 said okay that's it we are done here's the off-ramp others just can't bring themselves to do it yeah and it's almost as if trump is va- i
0: mean we kind of probably already know this he values loyalty and even though liz cheney voted with him at a far higher rate than uh who they have replacing her now after they kicked her out of her leadership role she doesn't she doesn't even vote with trump as much as, as liz cheney did so let's it's, it's a loyalty thing to, you know do as I say and you know I'll reward you
1: well one it's one it's one-way loyalty because yeah. um, and, and this is something that that again sort of puzzles me because you, you if you're a Republican you have to realize that no matter how much you kiss the ring no matter how much of a sycophant you are no no matter how obsequious you are, it will never be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Donald Trump actually despises people who suck up to him like Lindsey Graham and also, it doesn't matter how many things you've done for him, if you won't do the one extra thing, right. um, you're dead. Like Mike Pence is a perfect example. Mike Pence never, never resisted him, never stood up to him. You know, was the ultimate yes man. And yet, in the end, when he would not uh, go along with Trump's attempt to overthrow the election, do something that was blatantly unconstitutional, that was it. Was hang Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. And so there's always going to be that moment where you realize that you know it, it's 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 never going to be enough he's not going to be his friend anymore he's not gonna i don't want to be your friend anymore <laughs> yeah. see i flashed back on that to the whole playground thing i mean right? have you heard anybody talk like that since you were nine years old oh don't <laughs> want to be your friend anymore well i'm a middle school teacher ball, so home.
0: maybe not i see it i hear it every okay. so often so, i guess no, yeah,
1: yeah right <laughs> um, we're gonna lighten
0: the mood a little bit though uh ryan ryan had a he had something he wanted to share i think yeah. he just sent it to me before the interview
2: oh gosh so I, being a never trumper uh, we were we were kind of talking about how maybe that had cost you listeners and one listener in particular i'm guessing i gotta look at my phone here a robbie 177 <laughs> tweeted knows. this out and said i get i get fan mail uh, oh yeah so he tweeted he messaged you and said i heard you think trump supporters are deplorable you want to say that to my face you effing a uh, bundle of sticks pos f you elitist trash when the civil war comes it's the media who people will go after first um so i mean obviously nice yeah yeah that's some pretty sweet fan mail you're getting there but like i guess have you heard more of that or more like hey no we're we're glad you're you're doing the good work and you know being honest and and yeah like what i guess what has been the reaction
1: well let's just say it's mixed um (laughs) you know there there is that whole universe of people um you know on on the right that just cannot understand why I did not go along with this and have been, am, am saying the same things that I was saying before, and that I am a traitor, that somehow I have sold out, that I am an, you know an apostate. So um, there's a lot of people you know that you were always a fraud, you know, screw you, et cetera. So I, I get I get that from the right. From the left, particularly in Wisconsin, um, where people have a lot of bruises for fights that we had been through, it's like, we're never going to forgive you because you helped build this evil monster. You created Trump. We still hate you. Um, and there's nothing that you could ever do to, to get regem- redemption. So I get the bookends on both mm-hmm. ends. And then let's, let's say that you know I've lost a lot of old friends and I've made a lot of new ones. <laughs> right. That's a nice way to look. <laughs> it, it's strange. But you, know, you always, um, I, one thing I've learned in life, particularly when politics is all your friends are conditional and um unless they're your actual friends uh don't rely on it too heavily
0: pretty good advice <laughs> jared uh why don't you you have a really deep question and I, I i tried summarizing it in my brain but i can't do it it's a really hard okay. one
3: so uh i was i was doing a little bit of research on your book and there was a quote that i, I can't remember who the uh, there's a review from someone from some uh publisher but they quoted part of your book. And so this is partially their quote, partially your okay. quote. So conservatives declined to call them out, being, being the people that supported Trump, because after all, we were friends, Confesses Sykes, that proved to be a moral failure that lies at the heart of the conservative movement. So it's interesting, as I kind of followed the conservative platform, especially as it's evolved in the last couple of years, you know, a lot of this conservative ideologies, like uh, being opposed to abortion, are founded on sort of like a moral high ground, like the people who, you know, they they believe that they have the moral high ground, the moral, like the superior belief, uh, and that's why they follow that belief. But, you know, then you've got your Trumps and your politicians that have really fallen into Trumpism, and then there's a pretty clear lack of morality guiding that part of the party. So I'm curious how you see, having been in this for so long in the conservative scene and really understanding that uh, side of things, how, how are they continuing to coalesce despite apparent I- ideological dissonance? Because I know there are still a lot of Republicans out there who see themselves as being, you know, like the moral party. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Well, I, I find this the most shocking thing that's happened. Um, and, and it was one of the hardest things that I had to come to grips with, with how did people who considered themselves Christians who spent the 1990s telling us the character mattered, how did they make this amazing pivot hmm. to support Donald Trump? And um, I really had to wrestle with that. And I, and I still wrestle with it, especially when you see, you know, evangelical Christians or people who seriously will identify the most important thing in their life is their Christian faith, embracing Trumpian ideology. You know, how did that happen? And, and you know, there are other people who I think have, have dealt with this, you know, have wrestled with this much, uh, uh, much more aggressively. People like Russell Moore from the Southern Baptists, uh, David French, uh, my, my good friend. But I do think that you know, it is one of those indications of the way our political world has, has really become, been coarsened and dumbed down. How, um, and I'm sorry to keep saying tribal, but that the, the tribal loyalties have trumped every other principle. That if you convince yourself that the that the other side doesn't simply disagree with you about uh, you know w- what the marginal tax rate should be, but is in fact evil, that they hate God, they hate America, they want to destroy everything that is good and pure, then you're going to put up with a lot uh, to defeat them. You've demonized them, and and you've decided that um, you know you're going to make an alliance with with even with people of 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 the most deplorable possible character, but. Um, Even after five or six years, I am still amazed, you know, watching that inversion, you go back to the mid 1990s, the one group that said that character was absolutely crucial uh, to evaluate somebody in public life would have been evangelical Christians, you know, fast forward to 2016, the group that, you know, thinks that character is the least important, you know, factor is our evangelical Christians, I mean, we, we kind of know what, what had happened. Now, you had actually read a quote at the beginning um, of, of your question, which is sort of related to this, which is the, the fact that, you know, the Republican Party and the conservative movement was always kind of a ragtag uh, collection of disparate folks. I think a lot of the divisions had been papered over by the Cold War. Um, I don't think that can be overstated. And so you, you had your libertarians, you had your social conservatives. You had your crackpots, you had your chamber of commerce types. And in retrospect, I don't think we confronted the crackpots, the bigots, Mm -hmm. as aggressively as we should have. They were our friends. So when they indulged themselves in uh, in these crazy uh, theories or crossed various lines, We didn't say anything, you know, in part, the analogy I use over and over in my book is kind of the drunk at the end of the bar, okay, you know, or your bigoted uncle at Thanksgiving, you know, you still have to keep him in the room and you figure that the drunk at the end of the bar is the drunk at the end of the bar, he's never going to run the show. Right, you know, reason is going to win out. And then you wake up one day and you find out that the drunk at the end of the bar is, you know, is running your party.
3: (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah, and I like how you said it's really was like just a straight up pivot for the whole ideology.
1: It it, it is stunning. And I and I think part of it is, is the understanding that Christianity becomes a, a cultural marker rather than a faith. Mm-hmm. Be- because I mean, one of the things that, that I have tr- tried I to do at various points was to say, I mean, you know, on your terms, let's go through the old testament and the new testament, what they say about immigrants about foreigners about others and about the need for kindness and forgiveness and how do you reconcile that and that it does it it doesn't register well it makes me wonder
0: i mean i've i've heard a lot of our certain democrats call out and say tax the churches and i always thought like whoa okay maybe that's a little much but the more i see of these churches just talking politics you know from the you know preaching politics essentially is that the right move? Would would was is that something that you think is is possible down the road?
1: No, and it's a horrible thing to, to even talk about. I let, okay. let me explain why. So let let's go back to 2016, as all of this was was, was happening, um, and and everybody was shocked by uh, the, the the vote. One of the things that I think the media and the Democrats g- grossly underestimated was the issue of religious liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, conscience clauses which were which were I think treated cavalierly and sometimes with contempt that issue of religious liberty was really what spread like a wildfire on on the right and I think resulted in votes that people didn't see coming and I I have made this argument like you know guys you know let's there there is a a sweet spot in American politics where you have a live and let live Gay marriage, even even transsexual rights, but do not impose them because then what happens? You know, uh, then what happens uh, to uh, you know people of faith is they feel under siege. They feel that they are victims, Mm -hmm. and so that whole sense they are coming after us is what motivates. And unfortunately, what happened is is that religious liberty, which I personally think is very very important, Mm -hmm. uh, became to substitute for actual religious content. And as people like Russell Moore have pointed out. Religious liberty is important because it is a means to an end, which of course is the faith world. Mm-hmm. Um, if it becomes an end in and of itself, do you sacrifice all of your Christian values just to keep your? And again, it became very, very confused. But sure, threats threats against the church actually will always backfire. I mean, if right. if I if I am Steve Bannon, I right. absolutely want someone like Beto O'Rourke talking about taxing the churches. This this is like mana from heaven for me.
0: That's an interesting perspective. I never thought of it that way. That I mean that makes sense. It'd be foolish for them to go down that road. Since since you kind of you you know you were you never Trumper, and that you, I mean you probably lost some listeners and all that stuff. But in your mind, you think the Republican Party? I think a lot of people think the Republican Party is kind of drifting away or maybe splitting apart. In your your words, in your opinion, what it, what is what are Republican values? What should the Republican Party be standing for?
1: Well, this is a hard question. Um, because you know, people say, Well, are you still a conservative? And I would say, I think so, but I'm not sure what the term means any longer. Okay. I mean, really, you know, there are conservative ideas, and then there is the conservative movement. The conservative movement is completely corrupt. It has been completely, it has shown itself completely without principle in embracing Donald Trump. So um I'm not. I, I actually. This is this is a difficult question because I know right. that there's no going back to the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan. There's no post-Trump world in which everybody goes back and says, "Hey, you know, let's let's uh, let's embrace the ideas of Paul Ryan." I think we figured out that the small government, fiscally conservative, um, you know, veneer of the Republican Party was was just a veneer, you know, easily cast off uh, by by Trump. Uh, during the the, the the Trump years. So I, I you know, I, I think, however, this country does need to rational pro-democratic political parties. And I do think that the Democratic Party, if it continues to move to the left, will need a check, but it will need a check that is not fascist adjacent. I mean, this is what really scares me right now, is that the Democrats say that they believe that there's an existential crisis about democracy, but are they acting like it? Or are they about to blow themselves up because they wanna have one funding plan or, or another? I mean, you know, I, I, want Trump, I want Biden to succeed, not because I agree with all of his policies, which I don't, but because if he fails, I know what the alternative is. Mm-hmm. And the alternative is the return to this politics of nihilism. And if the Democrats crash and burn, you will see a restoration of the worst aspects and a second trump term will be i think exponentially worse than a first trump term because there'll be no doubt about what his agenda is what the tone will be and you can just imagine the kinds of acts he would do uh, he would commit as well as the kind of people that he would attract
0: is there anything trump can do to lose support I mean, I, I thought January
1: 6th would be it. I thought, like, there's, you know, he's well, done. He's going to ride off into the sunset. We all did. Right? Well, this is, a game, this is a game we used to play, which is like, what would it take for, for Donald Trump? And, and he, he started it when he said, you know, I could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. Said I could murder Iowa. somebody and I wouldn't lose any support. Um, which tells you that, you know, he's sort of been on the game a little bit as well. There was a moment when I thought, okay, what would it take? Um, like, and I thought, well, what if it turned out that he paid for an abortion or that he coerced a woman into an abortion? I no longer think that would be enough. (laughs) I think that they have accepted absolutely everything about, about Donald Trump. I think the biggest danger he has is, is boring people or embarrassing people. I do think that the fact that right now he's kind of not really at the center of American politics. And as a result, if you pay any attention to him, he's absolutely bonkers. It's mm-hmm. just crazy. Um, I read something just before I came on about his speech in Georgia. And I think he spent oh, what, like something like, you know, he goes to a rally and he spends 10 minutes talking about the fraud. It, he spends eight minutes talking about uh, the border situation and he spends about 40 seconds talking about the three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill. So, He's not talking about issues. He's increasingly, it's just sort of this, uh, you know, airing of the grievances and, and his vengeance agenda. And you kind of wonder whether or not you can sustain that over four years. But I, having said that, I've said before um, that, hey, this can't last. It's not sustainable. People are going to burn out. And I, I haven't been right so far. Well, of course, <laughs> he was defeated. I mean, I I, right. I do think it's important. To mention that, it, that he is, in fact, the ex-president, and he was defeated. Uh, so that's the good news. But I, I wish I had more confidence in the political skills of the Democrats.
0: Yeah, it was just, it's almost as if there's nothing, like you said, nothing that he could do because let's, the worst story could come out about him and it could be true. It could be on camera and it's fake news. It's, he was set up, they're trying to make him look bad. I mean, There's always an out that he has created by gaslighting the country with fake news.
1: Well, and here's a perfect example of this um, about, you know, his, his his whole identity is wrapped up in the big lie about the election, right? Mm-hmm. So if we lived in a world where facts mattered, and there was such a thing as shame, um, what happened in Arizona with the cyber ninjas would have been really, really embarrassing, right? right. Um, it would have dampened all of this. Um, and I, I wrote about this in my a column that just came out a little while ago on MSNBC. And I, I, I think it's very interesting that you have this humiliating uh, r- result that says that Joe Biden not only won in Arizona, but it turns out that he won by an even bigger margin. And what does Donald Trump do? Donald Trump goes into in front of his crowd in, in Georgia and he just flatly lies about it. He says, I won, I won by a big margin. And all around the country, all, all of the, you know, the, the magaverse is in fact accelerating its its demands for, for more audits. So there's no reality check anymore. There's no fact, there's no, there's no, you know, set of evidence that will ever convince these people, you know, not to continue to behave in this particular way. And so this tells us something about our politics, I mm-hmm. think, um, that this, this wasn't even, I mean, it, they didn't even blink at a moment, you know, at, after something that, you know, in a, in a rational, reasonable world, Earth 2.0, which we do not live on, um, mm-hmm. would have been humiliating.
0: Do you think this recent increase in like you know Iowa was one of them or Iowa we passed uh we restricted some voting rights through passing some legislation um in theory restricted voting rights do you think this you know all these states that are doing or passing these legis- pieces of legislation about voting rights is that do you think that's an attempt to restrict certain people's access to vote or do you think that's just the the, the democrats
1: overreacting um, no, I, I, th- I think it's it's look, there's nothing subtle about what they're doing here. I right. mean, you know, why are they passing all these laws? Well, it's because of the big lie, uh, even though there's no evidence there was any problem. Clearly, the Democrat i mean sorry, the Republicans have internalized the idea that if too many people vote, they will lose elections, so they need to make it as hard to vote as possible. Now, having said that, I do think the Democrats might be missing the point about the real danger, because, okay, so in Texas where they pass really draconian laws. It's already hard to vote at absentee. I'm not defending their law at all. But, you know, the, the fact that you don't have 24-hour voting, why did they do it? Who knows what their motives are, but this is not the end of the world that you can't vote at 4 a.m. in Houston, okay? Mm-hmm. But what might be the end of our democracy as we know it is if, in fact, uh, you install these uh, Stop the Steal folks, as you in know, a, in a, critical positions like secretary of state or if we develop the idea that it's legitimate for republican legislatures to overturn the popular vote and you know cast electoral votes to the loser of the race so in some ways i think that democrats need to start focusing on the real danger which is who counts the votes as opposed to just the issue of who cast them i'm not saying that's not important but i think that it, to the extent that there's a really scary threat for 2024 and 2025, it's that. And just one other point, I mean, you think about the handful of really crucial Republicans who stood up against Donald Trump. What if they weren't there? What if Brad Raffensperger, you know, didn't say no in Georgia? Mm-hmm. What if Governor Ducey in Arizona hadn't rolled over the Maricopa County folks? What if the Republican legislature in Michigan had said, yes, sir, Mr. Trump, we're going to nullify Michigan's electoral votes. We'd be living in a very, very different world. And we're talking about, I mean, literally a handful of people and all of them may be gone in 2024, mm-hmm. 2025.
0: It's very frightening. It frightens me. me. Yeah, yeah. right, no, it is, 100%. Um, you guys, either you have—you uh, two have a question? Yeah, so I've,
3: okay. I want to relate it to that. Um, It seems in just, you know, my my scope or my viewpoint or, you know, the people that I hear from, it's probably not as broad as yours. But I do know quite a few Republicans who are not on board with Trump. And yet, I mean, they're still, you know, party people. And I'm curious if you think this is something that I've kind of heard a lot of talk about uh, some, you know, hypotheticals of the Republican Party splitting kind of becoming the Trump party, and then the sort of more traditional Republicans. Do you see that as a realistic possibility? And if so, how, what would that look like?
1: I I don't know. Um, you know, and, you know, I'm involved with a number of people who are, you know, talking about third ways and, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. center left, center right uh, alliances, and I don't know how realistic any of that is. But I do think that the status quo is, uh, is unsustainable. I don't know how, you can continue you know, recognizing what Trump is, recognizing the threat that he poses to American democracy and to constitutional order, how you can still say, yes, but let's empower him by voting for congressmen and senators who are going to ratify all of that. I don't think that that is sustainable. Now, there's no question that the, the Republican Party as it exists right now is, is completely Trumpified. There is no civil war right now in the Republican Party. It's over, it is done. And so something I wrote last week after Congressman Anthony Gonzalez um, retired, he was uh, one of the 10 Republicans that voted to impeach Donald Trump, he's a uh, young conservative congressman from Ohio. Uh, What I wrote was, sane Republicans are self-deporting themselves from the party. They are leaving the party in droves. Now, I don't know where they're going. I think a lot of them are homeless, and I can certainly identify with that. They're not going to become Democrats. Uh, but they're not necessarily going to go along with with what's happening here. So um, I also think that the Trumpification of the party is accelerating at the grassroots level. I mean, you think it's bad in Washington, it is Mm -hmm. much worse at the state level. And part of the reason is that rational, reasonable people say, I don't need this. I don't want to be part of this party. I don't want to go out on Thursday night to the, you know, whatever, you know, South, you know, South Orange County Republican Party, and sit there with a bunch of people who are talking about ivermectin as opposed (laughs) to, you know, vaccines. So, um, because they leave, they make the party um, more Trumpy. I mean, this is kind of the catch-22. As as they self-purge themselves, the party becomes more intensely nutty. Um, And I think that that's going to continue happening. I read, I was reading an article where you
2: said, Sorry, Jared, um, but I was reading an article and you had said that, you know, there's people that just, they, they're going to believe whatever Trump says. And th- those weren't the ones that, you, that worried you though. It said that you were worried more about the people that are just apathetic and don't speak up. And that, like that's what this, that's kind of what it feels like you're saying there is that there's, 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 there's people wow. that, and they just, yeah, they're just leaving the conversation.
1: Well, and there's a long history of this, you know, uh, historians of authoritarianism talk about this, the demoralization factor is that at a certain point, people just throw up their hands and they go, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to fight anymore. That's a real problem. But there's one other thing that actually worries me also um, in in, in this context. It worries me that people believe the lies. Um, And and, and there is that group, maybe 20% of the electorate that believes the lies. But there's also a large number of people in this country who don't necessarily believe the lies but maybe don't care. See, this is the other thing. It's, it's that it, it's not, and, and in, in my book, I actually quote uh, Garry Kasparov, the former uh, chess cha- uh, Russian chess champion, um, who uh, also a, was a dissident under Putin, saying something like, you know, the point of propaganda is not to convince you to support one thing or another. It's at some point, it is the assault on, on your intellect altogether, to make you question everything question your critical thinking capabilities so that at the end you say i don't know what to believe i don't know what's true and maybe i don't really care that much and so there's a large number of people who i think know that a lot of this stuff is complete bullshit mm-hmm. but are okay with it because this is what their you know what they they their team is pushing and believing it or pretending to believe it or going along with it uh, is the price they have to pay for staying attached to their tribe. So that's the other thing. And, and you know, Hannah Arendt has written about this, you know, in her books on, on totalitarianism, this mentality where the intellect is so assailed with with so many different versions of the truth. It, you you just you freeze up. And she calls this, you know, the annihilation of truth itself. And I see this a lot, people going. I'm sorry. I just see all this stuff on Facebook and Twitter. And I hear this person saying this, I just don't know what to think. I don't know who to believe. And that's a, da- that's a dangerous place to be too.
2: So I, I got one more question. Sorry, Stu, if you, I didn't know if you were going to go, but no, um, good. the The name bulwark for the podcast and the website. I mean, I, I know the definition of the word,
1: but w- why did you go with that? I had actually nothing to do with it. Um, oh. It was, it was, it, it was there before I got there um, I, I think part of it is that you know that you have the, the term the bulwark of democracy. You know, it, it's, a, it's it's a nautical term and it does come up and actually I like it even though I, I didn't come up with it and had nothing to do with it and maybe wouldn't have picked it if it had been up to me. The more I think about it, the more I like it. It's like someone has to be a bulwark against the crazy. You have to be a bulwark against the authoritarians and, 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 the, and, the, and the fascists. And if it has to be us, that's fine. See, we actually started They actually started the Bulwark as a sort of just an aggregating site that nobody paid any attention to in 2018. And then the Weekly Standard was murdered by its owners. The Weekly Standard had been an uh, anti-Trump conservative publication, one of the most important publications in the country, I think, along with National Review and and others. Bill Kristol used to be the editor. Stephen Hayes used to be the editor. And in late 2008, and I was a contributing um, writer, editor, and uh, I did the, the Weekly Standard, Daily Standard podcast. Long story short, they murdered it. They killed it and transferred its assets to a, you know anti-anti-Trump publication. And we had to figure out, what do we do? Um, mm-hmm. There was a staff there. And they scattered to the winds, but we basically took the digital staff intact and moved them over and said, you know what, let's, let's turn the bulwark into something. So the Mm -hmm. bulwark rose as kind of a rump of uh, the staff of the Weekly Standard. Now, many of the other members of the Weekly Standard eventually went over to the dispatch, Um, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the history of it, that a lot of it happened accidentally and is the result of the, of the homicide of, uh, of the Weekly Standard.
2: Well, it definitely seems to fit. Just the name fits with what you're doing. I your- know. Just,
1: uh, <laughs> it worked out well. Yeah. I, and I claim no credit for it whatsoever.
0: So before I ask one last question, uh, I'll ask if we can go around and share what beer we're drinking and I, and I can start and then we can go to whoever wants to jump in next. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm drinking and I drink this pretty much all the time. Uh, Big Grove <laughs> Brewery from Iowa City. I oh got a blurry, got a blurry screen. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Big Grove Brewery in Iowa City. It's an Easy eddy, Hazy India Pale Ale. It's really good. I drink it way too much. Jared, go ahead.
3: Uh, I got a uh, beer from here in Des Moines. Uh, it's Confluence. Oh, I got the. Fuzzy okay, screen too. South Confluence Southside Citra Pale Ale or Citra Blonde Ale, I
1: should say. Okay. okay. A, Good. Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead no, I, w- I went with Wisconsin theme, Um, Lining Kugels. Oh, Leinenkugels here. Classic. Now, nor- normally, I, I, I must confess, I'd probably be drinking a Blue Moon, but I figured since we were doing a Midwestern thing, we had to go with Liney. Fair Classic. enough.
2: I'm actually at uh, at a brewery in Newton. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. You because win. My- yeah, well, it's actually I lose because it's because my Wi Fi is terrible at home. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to be cutting in and out, but uh, I'm drinking. I had to take a picture of it. I'm drinking a Shandy Man's Quintet. It's a strawberry lemonade mimosa shandy, and it's pretty, pretty good, pretty tasty.
0: It's a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. So that's, a mouth. that's <laughs> <a lot. laughs> I'm at Hazelig Brewery in Newton. Yeah. All righty. So, last question. Sure. Um, this is a pretty pretty simple one. Hopefully, as somebody that's a, from uh, talk radio, that's had a long career in talk radio and hosts a podcast, what tips would you have for for people like us who are starting a podcast and just thoroughly love you know meeting and learning about new people and ideas and sharing that information,
3: good information to people? What what are, what are some tips? And I would just going to add on to that a little bit, especially one trying to be bipartisan and encourage, uh, you know, civil discourse.
1: Well, a- actually, any tip I would give you, I think you guys have already figured it out. You have no moral obligation to be dull. Talk about what you want to talk about. Have fun. One of the things that I love about the, the Bulwark podcast is that every day I talk to smart, interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, and look, I'm I'm not trying to be an elitist here, but thing about you know doing AM talk radio is you would you know take callers. And the colors did not always enhance your lifestyle or um, the quality. Whereas on a podcast, you get to choose who you're talking with. And you know what? There are no rules. This is the thing I love about it. You can, you can, you know, really relax. You can have a beer. You can do a lot of different things. But I guess I, I would, I would continue, you know, saying, am I interested in this? Am I having fun? Am I smarter after doing this? And mm-hmm. am I talking with people who I want to hang out with? Right. Because I guess life's too short to hang out with jerks. If it was my podcast. I would use a different word. But
0: hey, you can say whatever you want. Uh, I was actually a little disappointed in Ryan earlier when he was reading that email and he didn't okay. swear at all.
1: <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> uh Charlie, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. This has been this has been wonderful.
1: All right. Thanks a lot. It's been a lot yeah. of fun. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Take care. And that was our interview with Charlie Sykes. Ryan, why don't you hit us with a takeaway? You scared me there. With, I didn't know you were coming back in so soon. Do you want to hit him with an air? We're back. And we're
2: back. Hold and right
0: with in. the takeaways... Oh, sorry. Uh,
2: so my takeaway—I—I I might be reading into this a little bit, but we were—we were kind of talking about like how. So uh, how do we get back to normal? How do we get away from Trump? Uh, just just those the crazy ideology, the extreme ideology. And I kind of got the impression that—and I would, if we'd had more time, I would have liked to have asked this specifically. But I kind of got the impression that it's kind of on Biden and the and the Democrats to have for him to have a successful presidency. That then uh, maybe. Finally gets Trump out of the out of the picture right. and out of the out of the the talking point, you know, or talking points. But, but uh, if Biden doesn't succeed, that f- kind of feels like it may open the door back up. That's uh, yeah. he didn't say that directly, but that's I, I felt like that maybe was kind of right. yeah what he was getting at, or or that um, that's the the key to ending yeah Trump's stranglehold on the Republican Party.
0: Uh, my takeaway. I ugh. Doom and gloom. I mean, not like he was like he was being honest and upfront. He's somebody that's it was a conser- is a conservative, and he was just honest. Like a lot of the, a lot of the things he was saying, I thought, how do we fix this? How do we like you just said, you know, do. Uh, Biden needs to do well. Democrats need to do well. Is that going to be enough no matter how much success he faces? He's facing the opposition of the Republican Party, a 50-50 Senate, where he has Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin stopping him from doing any, passing any sort of meaningful legislation when it comes to the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or the infrastructure bill. I mean, the Senate's Senate just denied that, or Republicans voted against it, and killed that bill tonight. How can he win? Because let's say he does somehow pull it out and wins, it's going to be. You've already seen the. We have ads up appearing in Iowa already about Cindy Axne saying that she's asking for a 3.5 trillion dollar spending, and it's going to raise the taxes to take away your retirement. Like they already have. Like this, is, we're broken, and I think he he basically alluded to that we're we're broken. We, what do we do? You we have media that's just literally trying to tear us apart with false information. You know, spreading the big lie and all that it's nonsense and so I don't I don't know I didn't feel great about everything but I don't know how to fix it
2: how we how we cleanse it how
0: we cleanse the system somewhat. yeah it's like we just gotta cut the bullshit and that's our show and then, and that, yeah that's our show uh, we'll be back with uh, we'll be back at it next week uh, next Tuesday we'll have another interview ready to go and another Supreme Court live laugh love live laugh love
1: politics is not touch football politics is winner take
3: all It always has been and it always
1: will be. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their love with women all across this country. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America.